Peace be with you. It's a, it's a privilege for me to be here with you this morning, uh, proclaiming God's word. For those who don't know who I am, my name is Carlos, and I am a church planting resident here with Sojourn Heights. And what that means uh, is that means that I'm undergoing a season of training as a pastor, as a church planter, so that by God's grace soon uh, we'll branch out and plant a new local expression of God's church in Houston's East End. And so if you have any questions about that, I'd love to talk with you after the gathering. But we've been in a series, as, as Brandon said, in the book of Romans chapter 5. And so far, we've heard of the peace that we have with God and this grace in which we now stand because of our justification with Christ. We've also heard of and been reminded of the fact that our faith rests firmly on God's demonstrated love, which is revealed to us through the cross. And this week, this week we'll dive into this idea that Paul lays out of Adam being the one who represented mankind in the Garden of Eden and how he was a type of Christ. And by type, I mean a figure or an image or an example of Christ. So let's dive right in. Imagine going to the doctor for a regular checkup, right? And, and, and you've been feeling pretty healthy because the last six months or so, you've been exercising and eating right. And so you're just really just going because your wife or family member forced you to go because you haven't gotten a checkup in like 10 years, right? So you're in the doctor's office and you feel healthy. The doctor comes in and yells in a loud voice, I have in my hands... The, the cure for a very rare form of cancer. And he seems very excited. So he tells you to lift up your sleeve to inject you with it. And you're like, whoa, hold on. What's, what are you doing here? I feel perfectly healthy. I, I don't have cancer. He didn't explain anything to you. He just kind of barges in and wants to inject you with this cure. But let's say he walks in instead of just barging in that way. He, he walks in and he walks in with with paperwork of your exams, of, of the tests that they ran on you the week prior, and he sits with you, and he goes over the test results and then tells you that you've been diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer, and it's the very beginnings of it. As he begins to, to talk about what you may be feeling and the symptoms, you, you begin to think back over the last month or so, and you realize, I've actually been experiencing these symptoms, but I, I just chalked them up to Maybe not being as young as I used to. And so as the weight of that truth and that, that diagnosis is, is read to you, it, it settles in your soul and, 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 and you get full of fear. But then he, he proclaims to you, you don't have to worry. I have in my hands this cure for this very rare form of cancer that I just diagnosed you with. I bet you would stumble over that chair and run to that cure as if your life depended on it. And in the same way or in a similar way, we as a human race, apart from grace, are blind to the reality that we have this spiritual cancer called sin, all of us. We all have the symptoms to prove that we have this disease, but we chalk it up to not being perfect, and, and we deceive ourselves as a human race, thinking that we're okay. When in reality, this diagnosis is before us, that we have this spiritual form 
of cancer known as sin. And mankind must first know, we must first know the sinful state of our hearts apart from grace before we can cling to the balm, to the cure of the gospel as if our life depended on it because indeed it does. This morning we'll look into a text that's it's obviously pretty grim and dark, but it shows us the condition of mankind after the fall of Adam in the garden. And the main theme that this text will teach us this morning is this. And if you're taking notes, write, write this down. An accurate knowledge of our sinful nature produces an accurate response of gratitude for the gospel of Jesus. An accurate knowledge of our sinful nature produces an accurate response of gratitude for the gospel of Jesus. The truth found in this text this morning calls us to an accurate view of ourselves, not a view so grim and void of hope that it pushes us to despair, but not a view so superficial and naive that we deceive ourselves into thinking that we don't need a savior. And we'll be navigating this text to get this accurate view of our sinful nature so that by God's grace, at the end of this morning's gathering, a spirit through his word would produce in us an accurate response to the gospel, full of gratitude and cling to Christ more dearly as our true hope. And to do this, we'll be looking at three points. Number one is Adam as a representative. Number two, is in Adam all die? And number three, Christ, the greater representative. So let me read the first portion of verse 12 in Romans 5. It says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And when Paul begins his stop process in verse 12, he takes a short but very intentional detour of his train of thought to expound on how Adam's disobedience has affected all of mankind. But the use of therefore means that he's not totally sidetracking off of the point that he's making in Romans 5. You could actually say that verses 12 through 21, the second half of Romans 5 is the basis on which he places the truth in verses 1 through 11. It is the ground or the reason for the confidence in hope that Paul stressed in the beginning portion of Romans 5. And Romans 12 doesn't mention Adam, but in the end in verse 14, he mentions Adam. So we know that when he talks about this one man through which sin entered, we know he's talking about Adam. And Adam in the Hebrew means, literally means mankind. So to the Jewish mindset, the thought of having one man being a a representative or mankind having a corporate solidarity or a corporate union with Adam was not foreign to their thinking. But Adam was not merely, merely a representative in the way that he shows us what we would have done in his place. Had we been in the position of Adam, then we would have done the same thing. No, it goes deeper than that. Adam being our representative actually means that in a sense, we were Adam. We were there in the garden with 
Adam. Adam is all of mankind represented as if we were present. But this is not an easy idea to understand, especially for a hyper-individualistic Western mindset that we live in and that we swim in. Our culture does value community, right, in a sense, but it doesn't really think that it needs it. Uh, the moment that community, community gets um, in the way of our goal, or of our dreams and hopes and desires, and the moment that it becomes a nuisance to us, we forsake it as a culture. A biblical thinking and, and really realistic thinking would say that that's wrong. We are not an island, and, and our culture believes that, that we're an island, that we can do our own thing without influencing or without affecting others and without others having uh, any effect on us. We're made to be relational beings. And the ancient people, and even today in the Eastern worldview, would understand this and grasp this idea of Adam being our representative. If you reject, if you reject Adam being your representative, this idea, because you may think it's, it's not fair, then you must also re- reject the representation that Christ offers. Because as Adam was our representative, so Christ was our representative as well. And we'll get to that later on in the sermon. So sin comes into the world through this representative of mankind, Adam. And death comes into the world through sin. So just like Adam was the doorway through which sin entered into the world, so sin was the doorway through which death entered into the world. And Paul is pointing us back here to Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, and chapter 3, verse 19, where death, physical and spiritual, is said to be the penalty for disobedience. God told Adam and Eve that they could surely eat of every tree in the garden except of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day that they ate of that tree, he said they would surely die. And once they ate of the tree, God told them that they would surely die. Once they they ate it and Adam falls into sin. And what is the curse pronounced over Adam? Towards the end of the curse that God pronounced God says to Adam this, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. If any of you are familiar with with Ash Wednesday, with the liturgy that is part of Ash Wednesday, when when you walk up and the ashes are placed on your forehead, you would hear something like this. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Repent and believe in the gospel. And this is no coincidence. Because the season of Lent, which is the season right before Easter, 40, 46 days, if you count the Sundays, before Easter, is meant to be a season through which we repent, through which we remember our sinful state, so that on Easter Sunday, the glory of the resurrection of Christ would shine that much brighter. And as I said in the beginning, this is why an accurate knowledge of our sinful nature produces this accurate response 
of gratitude for the gospel. This is why it's essential for for these kinds of texts to not be glossed over. It's pivotal to gaining, gaining an accurate view of ourselves and of the gospel. Throughout Romans chapter 5 through chapter 8, Paul, talking about sin in these chapters, attributes sin with a very active role. And Paul says that sin reigns, that sin can be obeyed, that sin pays wages, that sin seizes opportunities over us, that sin deceives and that sin kills. He personifies sin. And he does this to paint a picture of its power that is undeniably reigning in the world outside of Christ. And it brings disaster and death to all humanity. And he uses this singular form of sin in the Greek, not to point merely to just Adam's particular sin that he committed in the garden of eating of the fruit, but pointing to the sin as if He's pointing to the on-ramp that introduced sin and sinning as the human condition. So sin came into the world through Adam and sin came in and wreaked havoc and it brought death. And this is why, this is why we today take our sin seriously. This is why we walk in community with our parishes. This is why we open up about our struggles because as Paul personified sin with such power that it seizes every opportunity, that it's crouching at the door as we read in Genesis, waiting for you, its desire is for you because of the power of sin. That that is why we do not take our sin lightly. And it reminds us of Hebrews 3, 12 through 14, where it says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed We hold our original confidence firm to the end. So I want to ask you a question. You can answer to yourself, is sin today wreaking havoc on your life? If it is, I plead with you, the Lord, through his word, pleads with you to open up to brothers and sisters in your parish so that you may find healing and restoration and so that you may not, so that we may not be deceived and be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And if you don't belong to a parish, maybe uh, you've been coming around for a while, we would encourage you to join a parish so that you can be a part of the blessing and the growth that comes through being part of a community and growing together. Now let's see how sin and death spread to all humanity by going to point number two, in Adam all die. Let me read the following portion of our text. It says, and so death spread to all 
men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. So Adam sinned and died, and as a result, the door was opened for sin and death to come into the world. When Adam sinned in the garden, as I stated earlier, we also sinned. And how can that be? You may be asking yourself that question. How, how is this possible? How could I be affected by Adam's sin? Well, brothers and sisters, we're dealing here with the, the, the worst form, really, the worst possible manifestation of imputation. And what is imputation? To impute something to someone else is to credit someone else with your actions. Because Adam was our representative. His guilt was credited to us. And the result is physical and spiritual death for all of those he represented, including you and including me. This doesn't mean we're held accountable for Adam's particular sin, for him eating of that fruit in the garden, but it does mean that the guilt that he received from that was transferred to all of humanity so that now sin and death reign over humanity apart from Christ. I want us to take note here that Paul says nothing explicitly about how the sin of one man resulted in death for everyone, but he does make clear that the vicious cycle, the cause and effect of sin and death has repeated itself now since Adam in the case of every single human being. No one, Paul makes clear, escapes the reign of sin and of death. This is what he means by death spread to all men. It spread to you and it spread to me. And today we're still feeling the effects of sin and death. As Brandon shared and gave us advice and counsel on how to react to such atrocities, such depraved actions of men in this world, that is attributed to the sin and death that has entered into this world and has shattered not just all of mankind, but all of creation. Now we've been, when at one time we were united with God through Adam, Adam was in relationship with God perfectly. And when he sinned, he broke that relationship through his sin, Adam, so that now he's estranged. He was estranged from God with each other, human beings, but also with creation. So now today as well, man apart from Christ, his relationship with God is now broken. His relationship with his fellow man is broken and his relationship with all of creation is broken. Now, up to this point in verse 12, Paul, as I stated, had already be- he began to disrupt this, this idea that he was starting in verse 12 of Adam and Christ and contrasting and comparing both of them. But in verse, verse 13 and most of 14, he totally forsakes the sentence that he started in verse 12 because if he felt it necessary in verses 13 and 14 to defend what he had just stated in verse 12. 
that sin spread to all men. And Paul is defending the truth that sin and death spread to all men to the mind that may have rejected it. They may have rejected it by saying, no, sin is the breaking of God's law, the breaking of the law of Moses. And indeed it is the breaking of the law of Moses. But here Paul takes us into a deeper definition of sin. Yes, sin is breaking God's law, but sin is also a spiritual disease, a spiritual cancer. And this spiritual disease spread to all men and reigned over all men, even throughout the time between Adam and Moses before the law was given. And he he states this to prove that even before the law came, death was still reigning. And we know that Paul elsewhere says that the wages of sin is death. And so it's as if he's asking a question in between the lines to the people that may have objected and asked them, if sin didn't transfer to all of mankind and if death is the the punishment for sin, then why did people from Adam to Moses die? If, if death did not reign. And he answers that. Paul's answer is that death began to reign over the human heart when Adam fell. And even though before God gave the law, the Ten Commandments of, to Moses, sin wasn't identified as sin, because sin is, as I stated, breaking God's law, sin still existed. This is what he means by not sinning like Adam. Adam was given an explicit command to not eat of a particular tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he broke that explicitly, like that obvious command. But people from Adam to Moses weren't given an explicit command. Yet yet God still, in Genesis 6, verse 5, says that in the days of Noah, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Death reigned from the time Adam fell and still reigns today over mankind apart from the grace that Christ offers. Paul proves that death reigned from Adam to Moses He said death spread to all men, but what does that mean? Death spreading to all men. It means that those who sinned from the time of Adam to Moses were also dead in sin as we are today. So what does that mean for us today then? What is this reality that all of mankind is dead in sin and under slavery to the bondage of sin and death? What does this mean This means that the ravaging effects of sin has so affected our human nature from the day that we're born to the extent that it has caused all of us to become enemies of God. After Adam fell, we, the human race, became enemies. Mankind was plunged into a state 
of what is known as total depravity. And what does that mean? What does total depravity mean? It means that our mind, our will, our emotions, and our desires after the fall of Adam are now in bondage to sin. It doesn't mean that God, after Adam's sin, God no longer allows men to approach him. It means that mankind so loves their sin, we so love our sin apart from Christ that we don't want to approach him. We need someone to change our hearts. We need God to change the heart of man. And Paul had already established in Romans 3, 9 through 19, that we were all under sin. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. So how does this change the way you view yourself, the way I view myself? How does this change the way we live in community with other believers? How does this change the way we as a community of believers live in society? The reality that apart from grace entering into your heart, you would still be an enemy of God a child of wrath with no desire to approach God ever. Yet one day, the gospel penetrated your heart. God opened your eyes to see the beauty of Christ and you clung to him because God gave you the ability. How does that change the way we view ourselves? This means that we should be, of all people on earth, the most humble people. It means that we do respond to Orlando with brokenness, and with humility, and with an ear to listen before a mouth so quick to speak, and on bended knees begging God for mercy, because we too once walked in sin. We too once were dead in sin. Those of you have, who have believed in Christ, a reality of our sinful nature, our depravity due to the fall of Adam as a representative makes Christ look that much more glorious. With that, we go to our last point, Christ, the greater representative. Paul says that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. Adam was a rep in the garden. He sinned, so we all sinned in him and now are born sinners and we have this mysterious union with Adam as our father 
of the human race. But then listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22. He says, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Brothers and sisters, where Adam failed, Christ succeeded. When Christ was fasting, when he was on this earth and he was approached by Satan and was tempted by Satan to turn a rock into bread, he responded to the enemy with his own truth, his own word, saying that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And then Satan takes him to the cliff and shows him the kingdoms of this world and says, all of this I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. Christ once again responded to him saying, you should worship God and only him should you worship. Yet when the serpent, when Satan approached Adam and Eve, he didn't tempt them with just a fruit. He didn't tempt them with how delicious that fruit looked. He tempted them with the opportunity, the false lie, the lie that said, if you eat of this fruit, then you will be like God. You can decide what is right and wrong in your own eyes. Essentially, you can remove God off of the throne of your heart and place yourself as the God of your own life. He was offered a false promise, Adam was, to rule the kingdom of self, and he took it. But Christ, brothers and sisters, Christ didn't. He was fully subjected and submitted to the Father's will. And we see Satan flee from him after he resisted. Adam failed, Christ succeeded. Let me read to you, let me read over you Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in them. Paul, in this passage, paints a grim picture of humanity, paints a grim picture of us, of you, of me. And it's as if he paints a black backdrop, pitch black, and it places in front of it the brightness of the glory of Christ and of the gospel. And this is why we must paint the backdrop of mankind's nature as black as the scriptures paint them, so that when we place the gospel in front of this black backdrop, backdrop, it shines that much more glorious. Tony next week will expound on how much more glorious this representation of Christ is. But this morning, I want us to be reminded, those of you who believe in Christ, be reminded of the state in which you were in when Christ came to you. You were not looking for God. And if you were, God had been drawing you to him. And this should produce a deep humility within us when we relate to our brothers and sisters when we relate to those who have different views from us, those who reject Christ vehemently even, should cause us to react and respond with grace and love for we ourselves remember that we were once enemies. And God not only became a friend to us, but he adopted us into his family and made us co-heirs with Christ so that everything that Christ deserves for his obedience is now, remember, imputed. It is now imputed. It is now credited to us. The actions of Jesus are credited to us as our greater representative. I hope this morning is that the mirror of God's word was placed before us so that as we see and are reminded of the grim state of our soul outside of grace, we would cling to the cure, which is the gospel, more dearly. And it would produce in us worship, adoration, gratitude for God saving a wretch like us. Let me pray. Father, we are helpless and hopeless apart from you, but we thank you for the grace that you've given us through Jesus. And Father, I pray this morning if anyone here has not come to know this beautiful grace that you offer freely, that they would take hold of it today as if their life depended on it, because it does. We thank you in Christ's name.